What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm Shelly Metling, and I've been sharing my infertility journey openly on YouTube for about a year now. With four losses ourselves and one rainbow baby on the way, I wanted a platform for you babes to share your stories. So girl, sit back, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry, because we are about to get real on the ins and outs of pregnancy loss in the 21st century. We have Courtney Files on the show today. How are you, Courtney? Good. How are you? Good. So I found Courtney on Instagram, completely like stalked her page, and she (laughs) was like the cutest pregnant lady ever, and I noticed that she had gone through some infertility and miscarriage stuff herself, so I completely related right away. I jumped on your blog. Your blog is awesome. That will be linked in the description below, so (laughs) everybody go check it out. But what I love about this episode is it's a little bit different than our other episodes in the sense that I am at 35 weeks pregnant and Courtney is actually like, what are you, are you over 39 weeks pregnant? I'm 39 in a day. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. So she's like ready to pop any time. And you guys, if you are on here and pregnancy triggers you a little bit, I totally understand. Like, feel free, jump off, but just know that both Courtney and I have been through the ringer to get here. So hopefully this story will be more hopeful and inspirational for you than anything else. So Courtney, if you just want to jump in wherever you want to from the beginning, and we'll just go from there. Okay. Um, So my husband and I have been together for six years. Um, We got married in the fall of 2014 and knew we wanted to start a family right away. So we actually, we got married in um, the middle of September and then by Halloween we were pregnant. So, Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it didn't take long at all. Um, And it was a seamless process. There was no issues with the pregnancy um, birth to healthy eight pound, 10 ounce baby boy in July of 2015 and everything was great. <clears throat> so then a little bit after he, our son turned one, we decided to start trying for baby number two. Um, and it's so funny looking back on it because we, he turned one in July and I remember we were talking about when to start trying and I wanted to start trying in like September or October And my husband was like, let's wait till December. And like looking back on it, it's like, it's so trivial because, you know, here we thought we were like actually going to dictate when this baby would arrive. Right. (laughs) And it's just, it was just such looking back on it now, it's just like, it's such proof that you have no control over this timeline. You have no control over when you're going to get pregnant. Um, You have no control over anything. Um, It's just, it's not your, it's not your plan. It's not in your hands. So, um, we ended up trying in like September ish, I think, um, got pregnant right away. And that didn't surprise me because we had gotten pregnant right away with my son. And then come December, we miscarried at 11 weeks and it was just a total shock. I just never thought, I mean, I guess I always knew it was a possibility in the back of my mind um, because miscarriage is so common. My mother had miscarried several times, um, but I just, I don't know. I, 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 for some reason, didn't think it was going to happen to me. You know, I think it's, it's hard. It's hard too because you had a healthy pregnancy, yeah. you know, so it's yeah. like, that's the last thing on your mind. Like yeah. everything went 
perfect the first time. Yeah. So I just assumed it would be the same this time around. Um, and the way we found out, I didn't, I wasn't like bleeding or anything. It was just at a regular doctor appointment. <clears throat> they um, did the ultrasound and the heartbeat wasn't there anymore. Um, and the size of the baby was not the size that it should be for an 11 week pregnancy. So that was kind of a traumatic experience in and of itself, because now we associate ultrasounds kind of with a very stressful, usually ultrasounds are exciting for couples. Mm -hmm. And for us, they were suddenly like a very stressful experience to go through because it's almost like, yeah, once it's almost like PTSD, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So that was devastating. It was, um, I had to have a DNC procedure um, which you're probably familiar with. Um, I've actually, I've never had one myself. Oh, okay. Um, but obviously talking with a lot of women, I, I know a lot about them. Yeah. And that's, that's a, really, that's a traumatic experience in and of itself as well, because, you know, you go in for this, essentially for this surgery, for this procedure. And there's just so many emotions because, you know, you're pregnant. I just remember, when they told me I had miscarried, it was on a Thursday and I wasn't scheduled for a, my DNC until the following Tuesday. So from Thursday to Tuesday, I'm walking around living life, knowing that my baby that's inside me is no longer alive. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a traumatic, I keep using that word traumatic, but it's the only word I can think of to describe it because it's just, I remember just like standing in the shower on those days with my hands on my stomach and just crying, you know, and just letting the water hit me because I just, I didn't want to accept the fact that this was happening, you know, and it was weird. I I wanted to, I was still taking my prenatal vitamins that weekend. You know, I wanted to, my mother instinct still wanted to do everything I could to take care of the baby that was inside me, even though I knew the baby was gone, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just, it was a real struggle. And so that morning when we went in for the procedure, it was very emotional. Um, you know, they walk you back. It's, it's a very sterile environment, as you can imagine, they walk you back and your husband can't go with you. And so you have to say goodbye to him. And then they lay you down on the table and it's just these bright lights. It's a very sterile environment. It's not comforting at all. The staff was a wonderful and amazing. Um, I started to cry as I was laying on the table and they were very kind. And I remember the nurses being very sweet and then they, they put you under and then, you, you know, you have the procedure, <clears throat> but it's just, it just feels cold, you know, and yeah. really fortunate. Our doctor is amazing. And he, the, you know, I, I've heard from a lot of people, their doctors are kind of very clinical and aren't that in touch with their emotions when it comes to certain situations like this. And our physician um, literally cried with us. Like when we found out in the room that we had miscarried, I mean, he was the, the heaviness of that moment wasn't lost on him. Yeah. And I still appreciate that about him to this day. Cause he, you know, he, he understands. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he delivers babies every day. He it's not lost on him when somebody, that a couple that's been hoping for a pregnancy and hoping for a baby loses. Yeah. It's not like just a part of the job for him, which I think is what it comes off a lot of the times with doctors. Yeah. So, and that, so that was right before Christmas. That was about a week before Christmas. So that Christmas was really difficult. 
um, there was a lot of, um, it was just, it was difficult. I have two sisters and neither one of them had experienced a miscarriage at that point. Um, so there was a little bit of a disconnect there. Um, mm-hmm. Christmas was hard because, you know, you're around your families, you're going through this awful time and you're, it's supposed to be a joyful time of the year. Um, so that I just remember that being a really difficult time. Um, and so we just started trying again. Um, we got pregnant again in the spring of the following year. So we miscarried in December. Um, and then we were pregnant again in the spring. And then I miscarried for a second time at the end of April in 2017. Um, and that I, I believe was considered a chemical pregnancy so I miscarried between like four and five weeks mm-hmm. um we had gotten several positive pregnancy tests we had not had our first appointment yet and I believe I started bleeding um, yeah that's how all of mine were actually yeah. um that's why I didn't have to have a DNC I I pretty much started bleeding and that was like my cue of I lost the pregnancy mm-hmm. so. yeah for me um I've, I've never had a regular menstrual cycle. So I'm not one of those people that knew when they were pregnant based off of a calendar. You know, I've always been, I, I remember going like three or four months as a teenager without a, without a period, you know, I've never been regular as far as that goes. So that also kind of throws a wrench whenever you're trying to track these things. Um, so we miscarried at the end of April and then met with our doctor and decided, okay, it's, it's time to to start some, some fertility medicine. So we tried Clomid for at least six months. I want to say like maybe six or seven months. That's pretty awesome that your doctor decided to start after two, because that's not, that's not even that common. Really? Yeah. Like after, typically it's after three, which I just think is ridiculous. Yeah, I know it is. Like reality is it should be after one. (laughs) I I know. Really your work. I mean, (sighs) We have limited time to, yeah. it's, I'm 33 today and, you know, as of today. And, um, it's just, you, you're not, wait, is it your birthday today? No, no, no. I just, I just, I know I just mean to, I'm 33 that when I started, okay. This, I, was okay. <laughs> um, I know that did come off. That was confusing. Um, but, you know, so you, you don't want to waste time, you know, you want to start intervening and, and trying new things as quickly as you can, because that is, that's the goal. You want to, you want to get pregnant. And most people want, usually want more than one kid, mm-hmm. um, you know, so you want to, you, you would just want to get going, I guess, you know? And so he, um, he gave us Clomid for about six plus months and it never worked. Um, so then that's when he decided to refer me to a specialist. Um, he had recommended like five or six specialists. Five of them were physicians and one of them was a nurse run practice. And the nurse run practice was the one he recommended the most, which is really interesting to me. Um, and he just said, Becky is the nurse who owns the practice. And he just said nothing but glowing things about her. She's an incredible bedside manner. She was a labor and delivery nurse for a very long time. And the reason she started this practice was because she felt that mothers didn't get the attention and the, um, the treatment that they really needed from 
um, both when they were in the hospital um, for women who were struggling with infertility. She just felt like there wasn't enough time and attention given to these women that were struggling. Mm-hmm. So up her own practice. <clears throat> That's so cool. Yeah. The way that works in Missouri, I guess, is she has to, any order, any like lab work she orders goes through my OBGYN since he's a physician. Um, so I guess the law, I guess it depends like the laws or whatever in your state, but she's able to run this practice as a nurse. So all the women that work in the practice, it's, it is all women and they're all nurses. Um, and it was just, I remember meeting with her for the first time in December of 2017 and their office is not like a doctor's office. You walk in and it is, you walk into a living room. There's a couch, um, there's blankets. It's very inviting. There's a dining room. You meet with her at the dining table. Um, it's, it feels like someone's home. It's not, it's, that wasn't a sterile environment, you know? Um, and that was a huge deal. And I met with her and I just remember her saying to us, like, we are going to find out what's going on. Like, we are going to find out what's going on, why you guys aren't getting pregnant, um, and we're, we're going to get you pregnant. And I just, she just had this comforting way about her, and it was just so, it kind of gave me a renewed sense of hope, really. Mm-hmm. Um, which is everything when you're going through this kind of stuff. Everything. Um, and so I started with her in December, and we were pregnant in may so we worked with her for about five and a half months um and that's how long it took um to get pregnant now during that time she she was she her approach is aggressive she was doing lab work on me i I feel like i was in the lab at least once a week getting blood drawn um we tried several different fertility drugs um and the second one wouldn't work. She would, she'd make a change. She wouldn't, she wouldn't have me like try letrozole for three months. Mm-hmm. Just, it wasn't happening. You know, she was aggressive in her approach. Well, you guys were getting pregnant really quickly at first. Did five months feel like a long time? It kind of did. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a struggle just because, well, we had done the six months on the Clomid and didn't get pregnant. Um, so our last pregnancy at that point wasn't, um, um, was in April of 2017. And so we met with her in December at, so at the end of the year. Um, so yeah, it had, it had from, from start to beginning, it took us about 18 months to get, um, with our current pregnancy with our current baby. Okay. So it did, it, it, it felt like a long time, um, switching from my OB to the fertility specialist did give, it gives you a renewed sense of hope because you're like, okay, this person has time to make a more aggressive approach towards this to put more. Cause to be quite honest, your OBGYN just doesn't simply, they just don't have the time to dissect all these issues that you're having because their main job is working with women who are pregnant, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so being referred to her was a huge blessing. And I, I shot that. I shot her name from the rooftops to everybody I know because it was just such a wonderful experience. I read your blog about that. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. She's amazing. Um, so she, we did several fertility drugs with her. Um, then we did the, um, the shots, the FSH injections, you know, mm-hmm. that you off in your lower stomach. So we did those, I think, I believe we did two rounds of those. So what would happen was they would track my levels 
I'd get blood work drawn every week and my levels would be looking good. They'd be on the up and up and then they'd eventually crash, which means um, I would eventually stop developing good follicles. And once you stop developing follicles, they, they won't be able to release an egg, a good quality egg. So, and they also did ultrasounds during this process um, to check, to look, to take a look at the follicles because they want the follicle to be a certain size um, in order for it to release an egg. So my levels would be great. They'd be on the up and up, and then they'd eventually drop off. And this happened for several months. And then I remember in May, um, I got the blood work drawn. And again, it showed that my levels plummeted again. It was the estradiol level, or I forget how to pronounce that, but estradiol, I think. Um, So that level would plummet. And I remember asking her, you know, is there ever a chance that that level could go back up after it plummeted? And she just, I remember her saying it just, that really just doesn't happen. So, but in the month of May, I just kept, I don't know, I just kept having this nagging feeling like, but what if my numbers went back up? Because what would happen is my numbers would crash and... In other words, that meant, okay, this month was out, this month was out for us. We have to wait till my period comes and start this all over again. Um, But like I said, my period's never been regular. So the fact that it hadn't come did not phase me um, because it, I only get them a few times a year. And in May, I just remember thinking like, just what if that level went back up? Like I know it crashed, I know it dropped, but just what if, you know, and I just kept having this nagging feeling. And so I called her um, and I just said, is there, I said, is there just a chance that it could have gone back up, you know? And she said, we can absolutely draw um, blood work. I'm happy to do that. So we did, we drew blood work and the level had gone back up. Um, I mean, I believe that was in May, that was in April actually. So she called me when she got those results and she just said, my mind is blown. I remember the first words out of her mouth on the phone. She was just like, I'm shocked. She's like, your, your level went back up. This never happens ever. And I just remember feeling it. I mean, it was just like a light came on inside me. I just, it gave me so much hope because I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I, 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 I spent so much time of this process, just praying and praying and um, just trying to trust that if, if the plan was for us to get pregnant again, that it would happen and, you know, on God's time. And when she told me that that level went back up, it just kind of re-energized me. It gave me that hope that I needed that I had lost. Um, but then we didn't get pregnant. Um, we didn't get pregnant, I guess that month, or I'm trying to remember the exact details that I remember May came around and, um, I just kept having that feeling like, I don't know. I just kept having that feeling like, what if my levels did it again? What if they, cause they had dropped for a second time. And then, um, I just said, what if, you know, what if they did that again? So instead of calling her, um, I remember sitting in the rocker with my son one night reading him books and he leaned against me and my boobs hurt. It was, they were really sore. And I remember sitting there thinking, like I was reading the book to him, my, my husband was sitting next to us. And I just remember thinking, oh, like my boobs have not been sore in a really long time. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so the Saturday before Mother's Day, so Mother's Day weekend, I decided to take a pregnancy test 
um, on Saturday morning and it was positive. Oh my goodness. Just, and, and I just thought like out of all of the, out of all of the times of the year, like the Saturday before mother's day, um, it was positive. And I literally, I don't even think I pulled my pants up after <laughs> I think I literally like grabbed onto them and waddled into my son's room where my husband was. He was like changing his diaper or something. And I was bawling and I couldn't even speak. I just handed him the pregnancy test and he just was like a deer in head. He was shocked. He said, he was just like, no way. There's no way. Is this real? You know, like, and we were just shocked, you know, we just couldn't believe it. So what was that? What was that emotion like considering like you've gone through miscarriages, but you also hadn't been pregnant for, you know, quite a while. So like, did you have a piece of that excitement, but still have that anxiety? Cause like, I know for me, like my miscarriages happened, like I had four and it was just boom, 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 boom. And then when I got my fifth pregnancy test, it was all anxiety, like yes. no excitement. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, um, it was a lot of excitement because we, because during this whole process, we never got another positive pregnancy test since that last mystery. Yeah. Um, and trust me, I had taken, I, I probably, I don't even want to know what I spent on pregnancy time oh. during this process. Cause I was so neurotic and I just was taking them all the time because I, I was, think we all do after going through any sort yeah. of infertility. Yeah. We had, I probably took over 30 negative. I mean, it's just, it, it was absurd. I, you know, I, I was so used to seeing the one line, you know, the, the negative pregnancy test at that point, I was just, I, I almost just expected it. Um, it still hurt every single time, every single time you see that it's still very painful. Um, but I almost just got to the point where I expected it. So when I, when it was positive, we were so excited, but then I was immediately anxious. Like the first thing I did after telling my husband was I picked up the phone and I called Becky, our fertility specialist. And this was a Saturday morning. She answered right away because she's amazing. And she said, okay, I want you to go to the lab right now. Like we were that morning, we were on our way out the door to go to my mom's to celebrate mother's day with my family. And she's like, I want you to stop what you're doing and go to the lab. Let's get some blood drawn. Let's see where your levels are, what your HCG level is. Um, and go from there. She was excited, but she immediately like jumped into action. So that's what I did. I went to the lab, got blood work drawn. It confirmed I was pregnant, but it was very early. Like it was, a, it was, um, my HCG was over five, which means you're pregnant, but it wasn't, yep. it was like 13 maybe. So I've I, had those two. That's, yeah. that's nerve wracking in itself. It is. It's yeah. Um, and they, that number doubles like every two days, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did, I remember we did blood work several times after that, just to kind of make sure we were on the right path and, um, everything was, everything was good. You know, we, we, she, um, I had at that point I was taking a baby aspirin every day. That was one of the things that she had had me start doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm and, doing that too. Um, progesterone every mm-hmm. day. Um, because that was a concern that maybe I was miscarrying is that level. My progesterone was low. Which actually it was, we had taken, we had tested that and it was low. So she had me continue to take that throughout the first trimester as well. So both of those. And in fact, I actually, I still take the baby aspirin. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I was on progesterone up until the, until we got into the second trimester and then I'm still on baby aspirin. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm the, I'm in the same boat as you. So 
and then and then eventually you know once we got through the first trimester we were able just to start seeing our regular ob for the regular visits and um there's really been no issues with this pregnancy the difference though is the anxiety mm-hmm. i've just honestly um my husband and i didn't even really accept or think about the fact that we were pregnant until about 20 weeks yeah just like because- not buying anything not i like i didn't accept gifts for a while like my mom secretively was like buying stuff and i was like just if you buy it don't give it to me right Right. And I think that was our way. And we, and we talked about it a lot because we knew we were both doing that. Um, and it, we both kind of said, you know, I think this is just our way of protecting ourselves, you mm-hmm. know, as we've experienced the pain twice now of losing a baby. And we just didn't want to let ourselves go there and get so excited and then get disappointed again and go through that pain. You know? I always feel it as like, you almost feel like robbed of that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, after going through a miscarriage, you just, you, you feel a little bit guilty too, that you're not accepting right. the pregnancy and fully enjoying it like you because should be. You're very grateful for the pregnancy, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you're terrified. Yeah. The whole time. Mm-hmm. What, did you have any big milestones that kind of eased up your anxiety a little bit? Yeah, definitely the 20 week anatomy scan. Um, You know, I was so concerned that at that scan, we would find out that we had lost the baby or that there was some kind of um, problem, you know, um, with the baby's health. And it was just, I think after we had that scan and it was, it came back totally healthy. There was no issues. The baby was a healthy baby and, and, and still a great solid heartbeat I think that's the point where we kind of we hit our turning point and kind of said okay I think this is I think this is really happening like I I think we can let ourselves get excited about this you know mm-hmm. um but but I will say the the way that I have felt this entire pregnancy and the way I've acted has been totally different than when I was pregnant with my son because when I was pregnant with my son I was not nervous really at all. I would talk to him all the time. Um, I would, I just, I felt such like a deep connection to him. And with this pregnancy, even after the 20 week mark, I mean, I'm, I'm 39 weeks today and I still feel like I still have some guilt that I, that I don't, I haven't talked to her as Mm -hmm. much as I talked to my son. Um, I've, I've been anxious the whole pregnancy and I wasn't that way with my son. You know, I just, I just have a sense of guilt that I haven't let myself fully connect, um, even up until this point, just, just because I know that I'm still not in the clear. I've read stories of carried at the very end of their, uh, or, you know, I guess that's considered a stillbirth Mm -hmm. end of their pregnancy. Yeah. Heard not long ago of a woman I came across on Instagram who lost her baby at 37 weeks. And I read that when I was 37 weeks and it just hit me. And I'm like, there is no safe period. You know, they say, don't announce that you're pregnant until after you're, you know, you're in the safe zone, which is after the first trimester. And I'm like, there is no safe zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Safe zone. Do you feel a lot of that? I mean, with both of us being like towards the end of our pregnancy, I personally feel a lot of the anxiety 
coming back or getting stronger again, where I, I did feel like there was, I eased up a little bit on it and then it's coming back now that I'm closer to the end. Do yeah. you feel that same way? Yeah. I think, um, once I was able to feel her move and kick, my anxiety went down Yeah, because my, I was always paranoid. Like my fear up until when I started feeling her move was, is she, is she okay in there? You know, and there's no way for you to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can feel them move anytime they move it's just a it's just like a reminder it like restarts the clock in her head okay she's okay yeah and I would go 12 hours and not feel her move and I would get paranoid and I would go eat some chocolate or something yeah right I, ha- I have a Doppler and I like oh gosh oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to talk to my doctor about it because I was like okay I'm using this quite often like is this, like is this okay and he's like honestly with what you've been through like if it's easing up your anxiety like it's okay to you know reassure yourself with it but yeah I, if I didn't feel him move I was like Doppler where's my Doppler I <laughs> one of those two but then I knew I would just drive myself yeah <laughs> I know it's like it's I don't know if it's a good thing or not yeah I know it's 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 a blessing and a curse yeah um, but yeah, it's, but now that I'm near the end now, now my anxiety is about delivery. I mean, and I've, and I've done this before, you know, I've, 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 de- I delivered my son, um, vaginally. There was, there was no real issues. Um, it took about 30 hours from start to finish. Um, but you know, no real issues. Um, and I don't know, I just, it's like, once you, once you lose a child, um, it's like it introduces this whole new set of fears that, that you didn't even realize would come up, you know? I mean, I've, Mm -hmm. there's no reason for me to think that this delivery would be anything different from my last. And yet here I am like anxious about, you know, what if the cord wraps around her neck? What if, I'm pushing and her heart rate, heart rate drops. You know, what if I need to have an emergency C-section? Like all these things that I really was, I really wasn't thinking about when I went into the delivery with my son, you know? Yeah. How did you get through or how are you getting through the anxieties? Like, is there anything specifically that you do to just kind of like, I don't know, steer yourself away from that? I really just talked to my husband. (laughs) I mean, my husband and I are both, um, very, we're creative types. We're very right brain. We're very um, communicative. We always have been. We always we're really close. We always talk about our feelings and everything, um, which has been a huge, huge help in this process. I can't imagine being in a relationship with somebody going through this where the communication's not there. Cause yeah, that's that's my that's my biggest piece of advice I would say to anybody that's still going through this um, is you have to you have to come together and lean on each other and cause you're in this together. It's mm-hmm. times it can tear people apart and tear yeah. people apart, but you know, you, you're a team, you're a team working towards this goal is the way you have to look at it. And you have to be supportive of one another because it is our bodies mm-hmm. as we're the ones that are physically going through it, but our husbands are going through it in a whole different way. You know, they're, men always want to kind of be the helper and fix the problem. And here's a problem that they can't do anything about. They can't fix it. And it's, it's this helpless feeling that they have, you know, and as our, as, as our partners, as our 
um, boyfriends, fiancés, husbands, they want to be able to fix that. They want to be able to make it, make the situation better and, and they can't. And they're also going through the emotions of losing a child as well. You know, even mm-hmm. though they weren't the ones carrying the child, they're still, they still have emotions about it. They still have feelings about it. And it's, it's a tough, it's a tough time for them. They're, they're, they're not only losing their, their potential child, but they're also watching the person they love go through such a difficult, horrible time. Yeah. He was, he, it was really hard for him to watch me walk back to the surgery room for the DNC procedure after our first miscarriage. I remember that was really tough for him. He really wanted. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. He wanted to be in the room and that just wasn't an option. And it was hard for him to watch me walk back there knowing what I was walking back to go to go through you know um so now does he does he feel similar anxieties to you or is that not the same for him no it it is it's it is pretty similar I mean he and I both kind of just we didn't really talk about the pregnancy a lot up until about until we reached about the 20 week mark we just I think he knew I was feeling a lot of anxiety about it and he didn't want to to pressure me to talk about it or anything um we didn't I mean, it just, we just were so cautious. I mean, we, we acknowledged that we were pregnant, obviously, and we had told our families, uh, but we didn't even tell our families till I think we were 13 or 14 weeks at that point. Um, but he, he felt a lot of the same emotions that I felt. And um, I think once we, we hit that 20 week mark, we saw the baby, we had the anatomy scan and everything was looking good. We kind of finally said, all right, let's, let's allow ourselves to breathe a little bit. You know, That's exactly what we did. It was like that 20 week anatomy scan. I feel like that's when we started talking about it more right. um, or like it, maybe it shifted a little bit more from if we have this baby to when we have this baby, yes. don't get me wrong. There were still times where we have said if, or, you know, but it definitely, that was like the shifting point where it started to yeah. move in that direction for us as well. Um, my husband though is not, very communicative (laughs) so you're explaining this and I'm like oh I'm so jealous (laughs) don't get me wrong like he was super supportive but I definitely we just grieved very differently very differently um which I think is common you know yeah and that's okay everybody does grieve in their own way um I think it's understanding like how you're grieving in different ways and accepting it I think like that's that's like the main thing is just like understand each other and then you'll be good. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. If you, if you see that you're grieving in different ways, then just have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you need me to show up for you right now. Like, tell me how, explain to me how you are grieving through this process. Let me know what you need from me. The fact that we grieve differently is okay. I just want to be there for you and support you in whatever. Exactly. You know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. If you, um, if you had any advice for somebody in a similar situation as you, what would it be? Oh gosh. Tough Um, question. (laughs) First, don't Google everything. No, stay off of Google. And that's easier said than done. (laughs) Stay off of Google, stay off of message boards in the pregnancy apps, because every single person in there is saying, Oh my God, I had a drop of blood in my underwear. What does this mean? Should, what should I do? You know, and 
So don't Google things. Don't get on message boards. Don't do any of that. Um, if you have a, a, a concern, always call your doctor. That's what they're there for. I know it can feel like you're being a nuisance after a while, um, but that's their job. I mean, they, they chose this field um, and they're used to this. They're used to they're they're used to this so don't ever hesitate to contact your doctor if you have a concern about something um lean on your spouse lean on your partner don't don't turn on each other it because it, honestly i mean when you're trying to get pregnant it takes the fun out oh yeah it becomes a job for <laughs> sure you know it really does it takes the fun out of things um especially when you're like tracking i mean i remember <laughs> keeping a calendar and like being like, okay, so we're supposed to have sex on this day, this day, and this day. And it's just like, that's so robotic feeling. Like that's not how it was supposed to go down. (laughs) Yeah. I had to stop telling my husband when I was ovulating. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I can't tell him anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So it can, it can, I totally remember how it really does kind of take the fun out of that aspect of your relationship for a while. So, um, and because of that, that can lead to some tension, which can lead to turning on each other or getting angry with each other. Um, but the fact of the matter is you're both going through the same thing and you're both working towards You both want the same thing. You both want a child. So really, really remind yourself to lean on that person instead of get angry with them or, argue with them over something that just doesn't matter. Um, and for me, a huge thing for me was just my faith. Um, I just, I've never prayed so much in my life than I, than when I did when I was, we were trying to get pregnant. And I just remember, I remember, um, taking on this mantra, my God is big enough. I kept telling myself like my labs keep crashing month after month. And my, the labs are stating that I'm not going to get pregnant. It's not in the cars. But if if it's in God's plan for me to get pregnant this month, next month, whenever, it will happen no matter what the labs say. And looking back, that's exactly what happened. The labs said, this month is out for you. Your numbers crashed. It's not going to happen. And yet there I was on that Saturday morning just having that gut feeling. I took a test and it was positive. And I'm, and that's the pregnancy that I'm carrying right now. And we're six days away from her due date. Um, so keeping that faith was a challenge because you just are like, why, why is this happening? Like we're good parents. Um, we love our son. We want to be parents again to another child. Um, we're doing everything that we're doing everything right. Why is this happening? And it's not, it, it, it just, for me, what helped me was just reminding myself. And this always happened in the shower for me. I always had like, <laughs> long showers. Hey, would- that's kind of like a meditative state. So that makes sense. <laughs> um, so it, this, I would always have these like conversations with myself and with God in the shower. But um, I just remember saying, you know, cause that's what offered me peace was just saying, if this is in your plan, this is going to happen and it's going to happen on your time, not my time. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I accept that. I kept telling myself, it's not why me, it's because I'm me. And that, that like helped me for some reason. And, um, in in fact, when we announced our pregnancy, um, I had found this quote online and I don't remember where I found it, 
But um, when we announced our pregnancy, I used this quote and it's God has a purpose for your pain, a reason for your struggle and a reward for your faithfulness. Trust him and don't give up. And I remember just, I always just kept, when I found out I was pregnant, I just remember thinking about every other woman that was going through what I was going through. And we're still waiting for that pregnancy, positive pregnancy test. And I remember just wanting to reach out and say, don't give up, don't give up. Like, I just wanted to say that to every single woman that I've ever spoken to or met through Instagram, who's been struggling with infertility, don't give up because I am proof that Mm -hmm. even despite what the labs say, like, despite what science is telling you, I got pregnant. Like those numbers crashed. I was not supposed to get pregnant that month. And yet somehow I did, you know, and that's not, that was not, I, I realized that that was part of God's plan. That was his doing, um, in conjunction with working with Becky and her team, that, that that's the reason I'm pregnant today, you know? And Mm -hmm. I, so I, that's, I just wanted to shout that from the rooftops. That's why I wrote that blog, um, about our, I think I titled it our rainbow baby and then wrote another blog about Becky and her team, just because I've, I've spoken to several women who said, well, apparently we can't get pregnant because of um, a low sperm count, or we can't get pregnant because, or, or we have unexplained infertility. I know I've, I've heard several women say, this is why we can't get pregnant. But I just, I just say, don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. It, if it's meant to happen, it will happen despite what any of those tests say. And mm-hmm. it's, and I'm living proof of that. So that's really the one thing I want anyone to take away that's listening to this is that just do not give up. Don't give up hope. Um, if you're a person of faith, you know, don't, don't give up, um, your faith. Don't, don't think that he's not, he doesn't see you and he doesn't see the desires of your heart. Um, because he does, and he wants to fulfill those desires. Um, it's just going to happen on his, on his time, you know, and it's hard to accept that, but, and I, and, and, and I'll never know why we miscarried. Yeah. And we're not supposed to know, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, back when we first got married, I envisioned us having kids closer together than this. My son will be uh, three and a half when she's born. Um, And I always envision them being a little bit closer than that. Does that matter? No. Um, All that matters is, uh, you know, that that you have a healthy child in front of you. Um, I think it really shows, too, that. Um, you're very similar to me in the sense of like, you're not just grateful for this pregnancy, but there's also a lot of gratitude to the journey mm-hmm. that it took to get here. Like, think about how much we've learned and how many lives we've been able to change because of it. And the healing that comes out of, you know, our stories and the hope that's happening right now to whoever is listening to this. Like that right there makes me grateful for everything that I've been through, you know, um, this pregnancy I've. I mean, I, I have felt just as crummy this pregnancy as far as nausea or exhaustion or back pain or whatever goes as I did with my son. The difference is with my son, I wasn't afraid to voice that and be like, ah, oh, this sucks or whatever. With this pregnancy, it's like the second I start feeling crummy, like the second the nausea kicks in or the second my um, my back, just like I get shooting pain in my back and, it, and I just feel like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable. I immediately remind myself that 
how hard we worked to get, to get here. here. Yeah. And how grateful I am and how there are women out there who have never had the opportunity to experience a pregnancy. And here I am, this is my second time. And that's huge. That's not lost on me. There's, there's women out there who never get to experience that. And I just mm-hmm. can't imagine how that must feel. And my heart goes out to anybody who is still in that space where they have yet to experience that pregnancy and that, and that's what they want. And that's what they're working so hard for. Um, but just don't, just don't give up. Just yeah. don't give up and don't lose your faith during this process. And it, it can be easy to do so. Mm-hmm. Really just have to trust that whatever is his plan is his plan. I mean, we had, we had started talking about IVF before we found out we were pregnant. We had started the adoption discussion. You know, we had, because, th- because that's the other thing. Like, even if, even if you physically can't get pregnant yourself, if you, if your goal, if what you really want is to be a parent, there are so many options out there. And I know that it's not the same. I know that there's women that say, well, I, but I want to experience pregnancy or I want the child to be my own of my own blood. I totally get that. Um, all I'm saying is if your goal at the end of the day is to be a mom, there, there are so many options, even if you can't get pregnant, you know, and, yep. and we just, we started, we had started those discussions. Um, so I know what it feels like to think about that and kind of try to adjust your mindset. Like, okay, you know, we have our son, but we may never have another biological child. And that's all right. That's not what matters to us. What matters to us is we want to be parents again. You know, we, we feel like we're, we're good at this. <laughs> we feel like we yeah. got down. Um, we'd like to give our son, Graham, a sibling. So, um, you know, just, just reminding yourself that even if you can't physically get pregnant, that journey is not over for you. Mm-hmm. Totally. And also just remember that that's nobody else's business, but your own though. Cause I don't know if you got this, but the whole, have you thought about adoption from other people? It's like, yeah, like my husband and I have talked about it, but don't yeah. bring it up. <laughs> I, I was just listening to your episode this morning. I was getting ready. Things you should not say to somebody. Yeah, and I was like, amen, amen. <laughs> that's something I'm like, yeah, somebody said that to me. Yeah, somebody said that to me as well. <laughs> and it's funny because that's another thing I'm grateful for is those things are probably things that I've said to people in mm-hmm. the past that I will never say to anybody else again because now I know. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your story, Courtney. If anybody wants to reach out to you or can relate to you, wants to find you, follow your story, where can they do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm on Instagram. Um, I am the Bonafide Blonde on Instagram. Um, people reach out to me. I've gotten messages from women, um, across the country who I don't even know who have reached out to me via a hashtag that I used. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it, the power of, of speaking about this and speaking about this process is not lost on me. And that's why I do it because I've, that's, I've always been a writer from a very young age. That's how I communicate my thoughts and feelings. I'm much better at writing than I am at speaking. Um, so that's why I started a blog. That's why I've, um, that's why I am open about it. And so Instagram is just kind of that platform that I use because it's easy. Um, I feel like Instagram is the easiest social platform to reach out to other people because of the use of hashtags, because people are searching those. And that's how this woman from California found my story and reached out to me just saying, thank you for sharing and talking about this. 
I've gone through several miscarriages and I just feel so alone. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's, I just hope that I can provide a little bit of um, hope to anybody going through this. Um, and anytime anybody messages, messages me about their own struggles, it turns into a, an entire conversation and almost a, a friendship, friendship. With yeah. yeah. And I'm more than happy to talk about it to yep. any part of the process. Um, I just feel like that's what I'm here for, you know, yeah. so anyone, um, anyone that wants to ever reach out, please, please do. So I'm always here to talk. That's, and, that's why you were chosen to go through what you went through. Yeah. I firmly believe that. Like, just, it's not why me, it's because I'm me. And yeah, you sharing your story, like, we so appreciate it. That's a very good mantra. I really like that. It's good. Well, thank you so much, Courtney. Huh. We really, I really enjoyed having you on here and the hope that you've brought into so many people. So, Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. Just